Okay, so today's daf is uh, daf Lamed in Masechet Beta. We are at the bottom of Kaftet Amud Bet, which is the new perik uh, of Hamevi. Hamevi Kadeyayin Mimakom Lemakom. So we're getting, we're moving basically from the Isurim and the and the mitzvot of the Chagim that are Deoraita, then to uh, Isurim uh, that are Derabanan about commerce. Now we're getting into things where. Uh, doing activities that appear to be weekday activities that sort of overlaps with the end of the previous parak that was talking about commercial things or things that seem like commercial activities and I have to avoid that. So now we're getting down. Person's moving jugs of wine from place to place. So, uh, the, so Rashi says, So he's moving them around. Uh, now, why does Rashi have to mention that it's that it's inside the tchum or with an eruv tchumin. Why? Why does he have to assume that it's talking about somebody moving things that far? So it's interesting because Tosafot asked the question that we see in Masachet Shabbat that you're allowed to move a lot more because says lo yivim besaluv kupa that you can't move them in a basket or uh, you know any kind of a basket or box because you're going to move a bunch of uh, of uh, barrels of wine or, or of uh, jugs of wine. It looks like you know you're going out to the market or something like that. You shouldn't put three or four because it looks like masechol. It looks like weekday activity. Right, but the problem is that the Tosfot says that we know from Perak Mifanin and Masechet Shabbat that you're allowed to move uh, four or five and even more. You know, uh, the Gemara says over there on Shabbat. So what's the difference? Why? Why here is it saying more strict than Yom Tov than Shabbat? And so Tosfot gives the answer that oh, um, that on Shabbat you can't be talking about somebody carrying something in the public domain. Because it's uh, they wouldn't be allowed to carry anything in public domain. It's only in the private domain, and there, there's not really a limit, or there's you know there's less of a limit on how much you're allowed to carry because it's semi-private, and you have to do it obviously for a Shabbat need and so on. The Gemara talks about there, but the, you know it's it's not as limited because it's semi-private. Here we're talking about Tosafot says something which is public because it's Yom Tov, so you can carry outside and people are going to see you carrying stuff. They're going to think you're doing business on the Yom Tov. So that might be what Rashi, I'm just guessing, you know, that might be what Rashi was anticipating with his comment. That he's talking about the, you know, going, not going past the Tehom or with an Eruv, meaning he's also saying this is talking about somebody carrying it outside. That's why the limit is not to even do three or four in a, in a, in a basket. Whereas on Shabbat, you were allowed to move even more because it's in a semi-private. Interesting, you know, you see that Rashi was kind of like, Rashi like sort of saw that coming and in the way explained it, might have been sidestepping the same issue that the Tosafot was or by implication kind of explaining it the same way. Um, he can bring it on his shoulder. One or two, as she says, because it's obvious that what you're bringing on your shoulder from one place to the other, one or two, it's probably for right now, for the meal right now. Olifanav, where he carries it in front of him, uh, meaning in his hand. Uh, similarly, if a person is carrying uh, straw, which you would either use to feed your animals, or you could even be lighting a fire with it on Yom Tov, of course. You shouldn't put the container over his back. Rashi says that it looks like he's doing a heavy work. Right or that he's going on a far trip. You put something in a backpack. It looks like you're going on a far trip, and it's a big deal. We don't. It's avangvia ubiado, but he can carry it in his hand. He can start a taking from a new batch of straw, a new pile of straw. Even though he didn't designate it for firewood, he can take it 
to start using it for firewood on the Yom Tov. And, um, and it says, but you can't take from the wood ship a muktzeh. The muktzeh was the backyard that they used for storage. They called it the muktzeh because it was where you put stuff that you weren't going to use for a very, very long time. You know, like a lot of people, they use their garage for that, you know. They put stuff in there that they forget what it is and it stays in there uh, for a long time. So, they, so similarly, they would do that with their backyard. So the, the Gemara is gonna, going to ask that these two things seem contradictory because first it says that you could take from a pile of straw that wasn't designated for firewood, which would seem to suggest that we don't have the problem of muktzeh, that it wasn't designated. And then it says, but you can't take from the stuff that was put in the backyard not to be used, implying that you do need to designate. So the Gemara is going to deal with what, what's going on there. But in any case, the main issue of this Mishnah is the carrying of items in a way that doesn't seem like the person is doing anything commercial, or a major kind of a melacha on the Yom Tov when that wouldn't be appropriate. So the Gemara says, Tana, if, if there's no other way, you need to carry this item. You have a lot of guests coming over. Okay, Rashi says you have a lot of guests coming over. And you have no other option but to consolidate all of this wine that you need to bring to the wedding, to the wedding, to the seuda, you know, to put it all in one box. So then you can do it. Because you don't have any other choice. In other words, this is just a lechatchila, is what the Gemara is saying. Gemara is saying lechatchila, you should try not to do it. But if you have no other way to be able to efficiently meet the needs of your guests, you're allowed to do it. Atkin Ravab Mchoza, didaru bedochka, lidru beragla, didaru beragla, lidru beagra, didaru beagra, lidru beachpa, didaru beachpa, nifos sudra ilave. So what Rava made as an institution in Mechoza was the following, that something that was carried bidukka should be carried biragla. What Rashi says, what that means, something that a person would normally carry on his shoulder during the weekday, something heavy would carry on his shoulder, he should carry it instead biragla with a fork. He sa- Rashi even says forka. Forka, I guess, must be the old French or something like that, right? Some kind of a pitchfork that they would use, like the way that he says, um, like they would carry salt. I don't know, because you have to do it in a different way. So he, Rashi's idea is that you have to do it in a different way, and it has to be a different way she, th- that is mekel on the person. It makes it lighter. So it's easier, I guess, to carry it in the special fork than it is to carry it on the shoulder. So you're making it a little bit easier, lechvod yom tov, basically, so that you're not carrying such a heavy burden. And if a person's carrying berigla, in other words, normally they carry berigla with this, um, he says, for example, a large chavit uh, dola, that normally you would use this kind of a, uh, a fork to convey um, uh, a barrel of wine. Uh, he says, that you should do be'agra. You should do it with two people, on a, with a stick over their shoulders. And again, that's something that's going to make it easier because you would be taking it with a, uh, um, it almost sounds like one of those trolleys, you know, but it's a fork instead, you know, they would hold it. I guess somehow it would, it would, it would make the weight easier to carry. I'm not sure exactly how, because it sounds like it would be just as hard, but apparently it would be easier. Does he say, doesn't 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 he say, Right, and he says, "Oh, he should not say about chabit, and he's able to katev mishnel hakelo." No. Which one? Yeah, that's in. Um, when it says "daru betochka," he says "bedaru beagra." He says "bemot al kafayim," and then at the end he says, "v'achar bishenol hakel mikol makom shinui." Right, I think that's at the end. That's at the end. Right. 
And this one, he's still saying it is making it easier. Because he says, Be'agra, he says, nami Right, so in other words, we can understand why having two people carry something that would normally be carried by only one person, for sure, it's going to be lighter that way. That's definitely true. And apparently the fork carrying is lighter than the shoulder carrying. Uh, I guess that's how that fork worked. I'm not exactly sure how it distributed the weight differently. And then he says, then that something that was carried by Gra, you do it, he says, that In other words, something that would normally be carried by two guys on their shoulders, they would instead carry the stick in their hands, right? There, it, doesn't, it really doesn't make any difference, right? Because you're not the exact same weight, same distribution, but it's just to make a shinui, right? So that says, He doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't make it any worse, Right, so in other words, you get to a certain point where there's no real shinoi to make this any lighter, but uh, I'm doing it differently to show that it's Yom Tov. And then Bechpa, he says, if there's Bechpa, then he says, Nifros uh, Sudra. So in other words, if it's the thing that already is done in the lightest possible way for a person, which means it's done by two people, done by a stick that they're holding in their hands, so there's no lighter thing than that, then to make a shinoi, they put over it a Sudar, they put over it a sheet or something, you know, a, a blanket, whatever, a light uh, kerchief. It's just to cover it. So he's saying again, that's not that definitely doesn't make it any lighter. But the point, technically, it makes it heavier if you want to really be, uh, really be precise. But you know, it's it, not by much. The point is, it's just a shinoi to make a difference. Okay, that's the way Rashi learns it. If you look at the Gra, he brings what the Rambam says for all of these things, which is a little bit different. He says bedochka means with a stick. Okay, Beragla means on his back, Beagra means on his shoulder, Bachpa means in his hand. In other words, he has a little bit of a different interpretation of what the breakdown is of each of these levels. Uh, in the, the Graz version, he takes the Rambam. And then he mentions that the Arucha is even another way. Either way, the point is you make a Shinoi that is lighter than the normal way to the extent possible. Now, however, it says, Vimla Evshar Sharei. And if there is no real shinui that could be done here, so we just let him do it the normal way because we don't prevent them from doing something because of the appearance of extra effort. We just try to change from the normal way if there's an option to do it. The rabbis say... That as much as you can change from the normal way, you should do it on Yom Tov. We see that the women go to fill their barrels with with water from the well, you know, the on Yom Tov. And we don't say anything to them, even though they don't do any shinui. Aren't they supposed to do a shinui? So Amali said to them, what kind of shinui are they going to do? What will they do? If you're going to tell me what they should do is instead of using a large bucket, use a small bucket. So that's Yatzas Chao Behev Seido. Right? Because they're going to have to make three trips instead of one trip. So we're not going to do that. So you say, no, if they're using a small bucket, use a big bucket. It's going to be heavier. Right? So there's no real Shinoi that is, that is not going to be worse than what we started with. Now this part the Gra corrects and the and and actually seemingly Rashi also has the Gra's way that uh, it should say Techasya binachtema zimnin dimafsik. Okay, in other words, skipping the other words there. 
Okay, because is not really relevant. That the it's saying put a cover over the bucket. Maybe it will fall. So let it fall. So what? What's the problem with carrying the bucket top? It's not Shabbat. It's it shouldn't be an issue. But the point is that it will break off, and then vatelim mikturei he'll end up tying it on. And that would be amlacha. In other words, if they make a top for the bucket and it breaks off and then she wants to tie it back on, it's going to cause more of a problem because she tied this top on and now she's going to, it broke off, she has to tie it again. The tying would be amlacha. So tifro sudra and if she covers it with a cloth, like we mentioned covering things with a cloth before, it could get soaked with the water and then she'll squeeze it out. The point is that there's no way of doing the bringing of water from the well that's a real shinoi. And as we said before, if there's no meaningful shinoi that could be done that doesn't make the situation worse, we don't do it. This is a very controversial subject, especially right after Simchat Torah. But the, um, it says you're not supposed to clap and you're not supposed to dance. You're not supposed to smack your leg with uh, the beat of the music on, on Shabbat and Yom Tov. This is one of the gzerot that they made. Shema yitaken klishir was the reason that they might come to tune instruments on Shabbat and Yom Tov. It seems like a very, very remote concern nowadays. But that was the reason they made it. Rashi says, for evil or for singing. Tosafot says, no, we're not talking about evil over here. We're talking about simcha. We're talking about the rejoicing. Now, that's a whole issue. One of the reasons why they made simcha Torah and chutzah, it's always on the second day of Yom Tov, was because it's never on Shabbat, the second day. And, uh, and it's a second day Yom Tov. If they're going to clap and dance and all that, better that they do those things on the second day of Yom Tov than on the first day. Here it's more of an issue because it's all the one day. But um, they say, no, you're allowed to, so on. There's also a Tosafot that says nowadays we don't fix clay shear, so why do we have this restriction anyway? There's some people that rely on that. In any case, he's, he said the women are always clapping and doing all this and nobody says anything to them. This is Drabanan. Right. So, This is didn't we also learn that a person is not supposed to sit on the edge of the Mavoy? We learned about the Mavoy in Masachet Eruvin, that you have three walls, and the fourth wall is open to the Roshut Rabim. You put a Lechi or Korah, either a Lechi on the side that uh, shows you where the, um, where the Mavoy ends. You can't go past that point with carrying anything, or a Korah that goes above the, you know, horizontally. Right? You're not supposed to sit right on the edge of the Mavoy. Why? Because something's going to drop out of your hand, roll into the Rashut HaRabim, and you're going to go take it. And unlike in the Rashut HaRabim, where if you move something a small distance, it doesn't make a difference, if you move something even a small distance from outside in the Rashut HaRabim to back into the Rashut HaYachid, it's Isur Deoraita. So they said, don't do that. Don't sit there. Right? Right? And we know that the ladies go and they take their buckets and they sit right on the edge of the mavoy. And nobody says anything to them. Even though they might be entering into a problem where they're going to, something's going to fall and they're going to take it into the mavoy from the Rosh Hashanah. Very, very famous line, very controversial. What are the parameters of this and so on? 
that, a, that it says better that they be shogigid, that they not know, then they do it b'mezid. In other words, if you see that everyone's clapping and this and that, and you tell them, hey, don't you know, you're not supposed to clap, they're just going to do it on purpose now. If you tell them not to sit there, before they didn't know. Now you tell them they're going to do it anyway, and they're not going to listen. So when they're not going to listen, we just leave it be. That's what we do here too. We don't tell them. And at first the Gemara says that's only true about a rabbinic rule, like clapping or sitting on the edge of the mavoi, that we don't tell them because better that they not know and violate it unwittingly. But then the Gemara says, Veloi, that's not true. We don't tell them even about a deoraita. Why? Because Because you see that even though we know there's a rule of Tosefet Yom Kippurim, that you're supposed to keep, you're supposed to start the fast of Yom Kippur in advance. Not wait till the last second, right? We always add a few minutes. There's a discussion about what is the measurement. What's, so, so, what's the source? Of what? Of adding up Oh, because it says in the Pasuk, Me'erev ad Erev tishpetu shabatchem. So why does it say Me'erev ad Erev? We know that Milayla, the day starts from the, layla, from the nighttime, right? Anyway, you have Ben Hashemashot, where you're not sure, Safik Yom Safik Layla, so you have to abstain anyway. So why does it say Me'erev ad Erev? So it says, comes to teach you that you have to add... That's why according to the Rambam, for example, there's no Tosefet Shabbat, only Yom Kippur, because it's the only place that you find the Limud, this, this Limud of, uh, of Tosefet. Right, other Rishonim say, no, it's also, it's also Shabbat, and Yom Tov, there's the idea of Tosefet. Right, so Tosfot here actually mentions, sounds like there's a measurement that you see, that there's an amount of time that you actually have to wait. It's not clear what that measurement is, and that's why he says you have to stop when it's still clearly daytime and so on. There's a whole discussion about how many minutes you're supposed to break before Yom Kippur to make Tosafet Yom Kippur. The point is that they, the ladies didn't know this, so they were eating and drinking until the very last minute. Nowadays they have candle lighting time, so they, they, they have like, uh, or you know, they, or they go to the Kol Nidre or whatever. So they, they're going to stop early anyway, but back then they didn't do that, so they didn't stop early and uh, we didn't say anything. Now there's a whole discussion, okay, so then what about the idea of Ochech Tochech Etamitecha? What about the idea of telling people when they do something wrong, you have to correct them? How are we just going to let people do whatever they want? You know? Oh, by the way, yeah, on the side here is where the Tosfot is, that he says, Ledidan uh, Sharei, that we're allowed to clap nowadays because, but back then they knew how to make uh, a, a musical instrument. We don't know how to make instruments, so it's a Velo Shayach. Right? Obviously because there were Ashkenazim living in Europe during the Dark Ages, that's why. I don't think any of them were musicians. But the Sephardic Jews, they all were playing the oud and all this stuff. You know, they, 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 were, they, were, they were able, they were capable of musicians. So it might be a different story. Anyway, the point is that, that this is where that Tosafot is. But, so, the, so one of the explanations, one of the answers given is, so when do you correct people? When it's written in the Torah. In other words, they say that it could be that the distinction here is something that is hinted at in the Torah, but it's not obvious you don't have to go and tell people if they're, if they're not keeping it. But it better that they be bishogeg, unless you know they're going to listen and they just don't know. Like you go to somebody and you know they, they don't know and they would want to know. But if to be mochiach, where you feel like you need to actually get up and make a statement, if it's something that the people won't listen to you, better that it be bishogeg. 
However, if it's written explicitly in the Torah, you don't have the ability to do that because you, you, you have to stand and, and, and say the truth. Now, you're allowed to start a new pile of straw that you weren't planning on using. You're allowed to start on Yom Tov. So That means you can start with a totally new set-aside storage on Yom Tov. Now that has to be Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon is the one that says you don't have to designate things in advance in order to use them on Yom Tov and Shabbat. Right? So, so the fact that you had this pile of straw, you weren't thinking to use it for hasaka, for burning, for anything. So you don't, you didn't need to designate it. But, but the second statement, like I mentioned before, follows Rabbi Yehuda because it says, but you can't go in the backyard where you had your long-term storage and take stuff out of there. But, what, but that goes according to Rabbi Yehuda that there is such a thing as Muktzeh. In other words, if you need designation, both of them should be prohibited. If you don't need designation, then whether it's the backyard or it's the straw pile, they should need designation, right? Either, either both or not, or neither. So it says, We're talking, really we follow Rabbi Shimon. And therefore, the pile of straw, you didn't need to designate in advance. But something which is set aside, because it's very expensive, okay? Because it's, let's say, building materials. A person has very quality lumber, okay, that they got from an expensive place that they're using for building, you're not going to take some of that lumber and cook your uh, s'mores over that, right? You're not going to make a fire out of that lumber. That lumber is for high-quality lumber for building. You're not going to take the construction material and start burning it. So there, even Rabbi Shimon would say that you wouldn't touch for any reason other than its designated purpose. It is mukta. okay? That's the difference. Another interpretation, another version, Ika la asefa. According to this version, Rav Kana started from the second clause. And he said, you see from the fact that it says you can't take from the backyard, we're following Rabbi Yehuda, who maintains that there is mukte, And therefore you can't take from the backyard because it wasn't designated for firewood. But what about the fact that it says you can start, you can use the straw in the pile. That's more like Rabbi Shimon. That's because it's talking about rotten straw. Rotten straw is straw that you wouldn't have for any other purpose than burning. So since it's something you wouldn't have for any other purpose than burning, it's automatically designated for burning. Wait a second, but you could still use rotten straw for making bricks or for making cement that you would put the, uh, you know, or whatever. It says, no, the itbe kotsim. We're talking about where it had thorns in it. In other words, we're talking about a kind of straw that wouldn't have been able to be used for anything but firewood. So therefore, it's automatically designated. So uh, basically, there are two ways of explaining the Mishnah. Version number one is it's really according to Rabbi Shimon. And the first case of the pile of straw, fine, you don't need to designate, so you decided to use it for firewood, so very good. In the backyard, that was for binyan, that was for building, so it was a type of muktzeh that even Rabbi Shimon recognizes, which is muktzeh mechamat chisaron kis, it's financially, it's, it's too valuable, right? 
Uh, the other way is, it's talking about, it's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. So when it says that you can't take the stuff that wasn't designated for firewood in the backyard, you don't have to say it was building materials, it could be anything. But that, uh, you wouldn't be able to use. But the pile of straw is talking about a pile of straw that had no use other than firewood. So even if you didn't designate it as such, it was self-evident that that's what it would be for. And then you interpret it as going according to Rabbi Yehuda. Now we turn to Lamed Amur Bet. Very important to note, this is not talking about the sukkah that we were just in. It's not talking about the sukkah of Sukkot. It's talking about the sukkah that a person made on Pesach or on Shavuot to sit outside in the nice weather. So it's made like a sukkah, but it's not a halachic sukkah. We're going to see why. Okay, you, can t- you can't take wood from the sukkah, but you can take from what is samukhla, what is next to it. Okay? Now the reason Rashi explains is because when you add the, the sukkah, even though it's not talking about a halachic sukkah, it's talking about just like a convenient sukkah that a person made, the roof is loose, it's made of branches. So what? no matter how much you pile on there, it's part of the structure. If you take any of it out, you're dismantling the structure, you're taking apart the ohel, and that is asur on Yom Tov or Shabbat because it's called stirat ohel. It's some, it's, it's stirat is one of the melachot. Okay, so the Gemara says, If you take from the top of the sukkah, right, you, uh, you're destroying it, that's why you're not allowed to. What's the difference if you take next to it or you take it itself? In other words, it's assuming right now that what it means is that you have a layer of schach on your sukkah and you have another layer of wood. And it's saying you can't take from the main schach the lowest layer, you can't even, but you could take minasamukhla from what's right above it. But that doesn't make any sense because whatever you add onto the top just becomes part of the roof. You're taking apart the roof. It says, ah, because, Amar Shmuel, my samukh, samukh lidfanot. It means, samukh lidfanot. It means what you have leaning against the walls outside. In other words, it's not actually part of the structure, but you would lean, you would have like, um, let's say some uh, mats or some branches that were leaning against the sukkah on the outside. Maybe they're adding some uh, extra uh, support to the outside of the sukkah, but they're not attached or interwoven with it. And therefore you could take those branches and use them for firewood, but you can't take the, anything from the top because whatever you add to the top becomes part of the top, becomes part of the roof. Okay? And then it says... Uh, that was Rav Yehuda in the name of Shmuel, right? We could be talking even about um, branches that were on top of the sukkah, but we're talking about branches that were wrapped in a bundle and thrown onto the sukkah. Since they were wrapped in a bundle, they didn't become part of the structure. That's what it means, minasamukhla. You have the roof of your sukkah, and on the schach, you put bundles of other stuff. We're not talking about a halachic sukkah, so it's okay to put whatever you want up there. So you put bundles of stuff. Those bundles don't mesh together with the schach below them. And therefore, you could take them for firewood. Tanya, Rabbi Chia Bar Yosef. It says, Rabbi Chia Bar Yosef taught. It should say, Tanay, it says. Kamed Rabbi Yochanan. Enot linetim mena sukkah, mena samukhla. Like we just have Rabbi Shimon Matir. Rabbi, it's that we can't take from the sukkah, but you can take from what's next to it. Rabbi Shimon permits. 
But they agree that when it comes to the sukkah of sukkah techag, in other words, the sukkah of sukkot, you can't take. But if you made a condition, uh, then everything goes according to the condition. In other words, what this teaching is saying is that you, can, you can't take from the roof itself, but you can take from anything extra. Like we said, the bundles on it or whatever, what's leaning against it. On the Chag, you can't even take from that. And I'm sorry, Rabbi Shimon says you can take um, even from the Sukkah itself. Right? He says you could take from the Sukkah itself, but they agree that on Sukkah the Chag, you can't take anything from the Sukkah itself. So Rabbi Shimon is so lenient that he even allows you to take from the Sukkah itself, even from the Chag. We're going to understand why. The Gemara is going to explain why. Now, the question is, but if you made a condition, everything goes according to the condition. We're going to explain each part of this. How could he say that you are allowed to take from the schach of the sukkah? You're destroying it. We're talking about sukkah David nofelet, okay? We're talking about the sukkah that fell. Since it fell, the question is, what is the status of the pieces of the sukkah that fell? According to Rabbi Shimon, who doesn't hold by Mukteh, once this fell and collapsed on Yom Tov, it's not Muktzah anymore. Right? Now, it's not functioning as part of the Sukkah anymore. You're allowed to take it. According to the Chachamim, no, it's Muktzah because it was part of the Sukkah before. Things that were never part of the Sukkah you could take, but the Sukkah itself you can't take. Even, meaning, we're talking not about a Sukkah of the Mitzvah. Regular Sukkah. Okay? Regular hut that you made. Okay? The Le Muktzah. Right? That's what I think. Rabbi Shimon Le Le Muktzah. He doesn't hold by Like if a candle extinguishes on Shabbat, leaving the oil behind, you can't use that oil because at the beginning of Shabbat, it was part of the candle. Even though it's now extinguished, you can't take that oil and put it on your bread. Okay? Rabbi Shimon says, no, once the fire is out, whatever's available to you, you can use because he doesn't hold by Muktzeh. So to here, same thing. He'll say that when the sukkah falls, you can take the wood. So the Gemara says, wait a second. How can you compare? When it comes to a candle, a guy could be sitting there and saying, as soon as the Shabbat candle goes out, I'm going to take some of that oil and put it on my pita, you know, whatever. <laughs> he wants to eat it, Right? I'm going to put it on my skin for my, uh, uh, I have acne, whatever, he's going to use it. Uh, if the, uh, but a person doesn't wait for their hut to fall down. In other words, it's in the person's normal cheshbon that, the, that eventually the candle's going to go out and I'll be able to take the oil. He never fully withdraws from that possibility. As opposed to the sukkah, nobody's thinking my sukkah's going to collapse and I'm going to take the wood. So even Rabbi Shimon should agree that that should be muktzeh. Basically, the Gemara always gives this answer or some variation of the answer, also with the animal, that it's a misukenet, right? The Rabbi Shimon is talking about an animal that was on its last leg, right? So here, too, we're talking about a, a sukkah that was uh, already a rickety sukkah. It wasn't stable. So Rabbi Shimon says the person's thinking in the back of their mind, you know what? If that sukkah collapses, I'm using the wood for my barbecue. It's a yom tov. Okay, the Chachamim say no, since it was part of a structure at the beginning of the Yom Tov, it was Muktzeh, you cannot take it. Now, but they agree about the Sukkah of the Chag. The rabbis and Rabbi Shimon agree, meaning even if it fell on the Chag, that you wouldn't be able to use the wood. 
But if you made a condition, your condition would work. Meaning if you made it, and now it sounds like it means if you made a condition, if the sukkah falls, I'm going to take the wood, it would work. Does that work? Does that really work? Didn't we learn that the sukkah, the, the wood of the sukkah is prohibited for any use all seven days, no matter what? Because the pasuk says, Chag HaSukot Shivat Yamim Lashem. Vetanya, Rabbi Yehuda ben Bedera Omer, Minayin Sheshem Shechal B'Shem Shemayim Ala Chagiga, Kach Shechal B'Shem Shemayim Ala Sukkah, very famous drasha, just like the name of Hashem, falls upon the Korban Chagiga, it falls upon the Sukkah, meaning it's sacred, it has a Kedusha. Talmud Lomar, Chag HaSukot Shivat Yamim Lashem, Ma Chag Lashem, Av Sukkah Lashem, because the word Chag usually means the Korban Chagiga. So it says, Chag HaSukot, Shabbat Yom means, just like the Korban, so to the Sukkah, they have a Kedushah. Obviously, it's not exactly the same Kedushah, but the, uh, but the idea is that they are, uh, that it, it's designated for the Mitzvah. It has a Kedushah, not of a Korban, literally, but the Kedushah of the Sukkah is as a designation for Sukkah all seven days. Okay? Amarav Menashia, Bredurava, so, so the question is, so how could a Tanai, obviously I can't make a condition to subvert that. The, it's a reality. The Sukkah is going to have a Kiddushah to it. I can't just remove it with a condition. So therefore what? Sefatan the Sukkah de'alma. Obviously that latter clause that you can make a Tanai is talking about every other Sukkah, not the Sukkah Mitzvah. Sukkah de Mitzvah lamani Right? So that, that, that has to be it. In other words, what, when it's said at the end, if you make a Tanai, it works. It means according to the Chachamim. The Chachamim say if your sukkah falls, not a sukkah mitzvah, sukkah in Pesach or Shavuot falls, you can't take the wood. But if you made a tanai in advance, I know it's a rickety sukkah, if it falls, I'm going to take the wood, it would work. But not the sukkah of the Chag, not the sukkah, you know, sukkah the mitzvah. So now the Gemara says, really? The sukkah the mitzvah? No. V'atanya, sechag yelchata, ve'itra bekramim, besadinin, ha-metsuriyarin, ve'talaba egozim, shkedim, afarsekim, ve'rimonim, ha-parchilei anavim, yenot, manim besatot, if you make a sukkah and you add to it different kind of fabrics and sheets and you put, uh, uh, you put uh, nuts and almonds and peaches and pomegranates and clusters of grapes, wine, oil and flour in different beautiful jars. You know how people use it almost like decoratively, like these beautiful jars of different things. You put it on there. Or, uh, you know, stalks of grain, like people do that in America for Thanksgiving also. They put like this corn, you know, as a decoration. It's a, it's a thing. So, um, you're not allowed to benefit from it until the end of the house, meaning until after Shemini Atzeret. But if you made a condition, your condition will work. In other words, if you made a condition that you're, that you're not going to allow those decorations to be muktzeh, it would work. Okay? And the Gemara says, Oh, and Abaye says, Abaye Abraham Damar Tavayu, Be'omer, Eni bodel mehem, called Ben Hashemashot. It's talking about where the person said, I'm not withdrawing my right, I'm not relinquishing my right to benefit from those decorations. All Ben Hashemashot. If I want to go take a little bit of the oil, of the wine, of the fruits that are hanging there, from sunset at the beginning of Sukkot until Tete Kochavim, I don't, relinquish my right to do it. And since I don't... Maybe, it, it's, maybe it's not the same, but 
Right, exactly. That's exactly the point. Yeah, you're right. Meaning, the sukkah itself, you can't do anything about that. The sukkah itself is the mitzvah, you can't. But the decorations, you could make a condition. So when it's talking about the decorations, it could be talking about those decorations. And what is the nature of the thing? That, that, um, that, uh, because you did that, that's exactly it. Once it's chala kedusha alayu, in other words, the atzei sukkah themselves, they, there's no, uh, two ways about it. Once the sukkah is created, sukkah of mitzvah, you can't make a condition that it's not going to be a sukkah of mitzvah. It's, in other words, it's part of the essence of the sukkah of the mitzvah that it has a certain quality of being designated l'ashem, l'ashem Hashem, and therefore you can't take that away. But the decorations, you could say, I'm, I'm, I don't want to withdraw my right to benefit from them. And therefore it won't become muktzeh during that time. It's called muktzeh le mitzvah, basically. It's not going to have that uh, status. And that's what you could put a condition on then. Right? Right, we see that if a person has seven etrogim, he wants a different etrog every day. So each one, he can have it, he has one for day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. Each day takes one and uses it. <coughs> According to Rav, each day, right after he's done with the mitzvah, he can have it for lunch or breakfast, I guess, right? According to Ravasi, he has to wait till the next day breakfast, but he's allowed to eat it, the point is. So it doesn't become, why don't we say that when he designates the, the, the etrog, it should also become muktzeh for the entire seven days? Why only for one day, right? How, how could that work? Rashi says, Right, so, so but yet, in other words, just like I can make a condition on the etrog, and after one day I remove the kedusha, why can't I make a condition like that on my atzei sukkah? Why do I have to say that it's for all seven days? Why can't I say that it's only for the first day? Or the second day, or whatever, and it could be, uh, you know, I could make a condition like that, that if it falls down, I want to benefit from it, or something like that. Why can't I do that? So it says, no, there's a difference, because, uh, because, there's a difference because when it comes to the etrog and the lulav, each day really is a different mitzvah, because you can't do the mitzvah of lulav and etrog at night. So therefore, each day is a totally new uh, chiyuv in the morning. So you could say this is for the chiyuv of day one, this is for the chiyuv of day two. But when you make a sukkah, the mitzvah is a continuous mitzvah from the beginning of day one until the end of day seven. So you're not able to say, well, I'm going to have a condition that, you know, after day one, I want to be able to benefit from it. Or, and you can't make any conditions because the, uh, the status of the sukkah is a seven-day status because the mitzvah is an uninterrupted seven-day mitzvah. Now, the interesting thing that Tosfot raises over here, a couple of things, he talks about the issue of the two-day and the three-day yamim tovim and what the status is of the muktzah, of the, of the etrog, very interesting. But one of the questions he asks is that, he says that it's, it sounds like the issue of handling the, uh, the, the sukkah that fell apart is an issue of muktzah. 
But then it sounds like it's a deoraita, that it's, that it says, Keshem shachal shem shamayim ala chagiga, chal shem shamayim ala sukkah. Which one is it? Is it a deoraita, that the sukkah has some kind of kedusha, or is it a, or is it a rabbanan of muktzeh? So he says, Rabbeinu Tam said that, up to the minimum measure of sukkah, the two walls and a little bit more on the third wall, that has the kiddushah of the deoraita. Anything beyond that only is muktzemi derabanan. Very interesting way of looking at it. And therefore both answers, both aspects are relevant and are necessary. The ri says, no, as long as the sukkah is standing, the entire sukkah has that kiddushah. Even the third wall, even the fourth wall, they all have the kiddushah. The only thing is, once it falls and it's not functioning as a sukkah anymore, the kedushah of the sukkah is gone, but the status of muktzeh remains. So therefore, you have these two rules. When the sukkah is standing, you're prohibited from benefiting from it because of the mitzvah from the Torah, which says that it's a sacred item designated to Hashem. Once, if it has fallen, at that point that it falls, now it's an isor banan of muktzeh to benefit from the wood that was once part of the sukkah, but it's not, it doesn't come under the Deoraita anymore because it's no longer functioning as a halachic sukkah anymore. So this is the conclusion of Daf Lamed Bezar Hashem. Tomorrow we will cover Daf Lamed Aleph.